This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the still quarantine ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 596 of the Godforsaken Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Baum, and I will be your head number one for the duration. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, your head number two. Today on the show, we're reviewing new comics from the last two weeks, Wednesdays, October 28th and November 4th. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally, in a rotating segment, The Mandalorian made its return for a second season, and there was much rejoicing. And the comic pushers have some Space Bounty Hunter comics for you Boba Fett junkies to check out. So, check your baby Yoda diaper now, and then put him to bed early, because it is review time in the ziggurat! And that kid eats frogs, so he's taking a weird crap scene. This week's new comic pile features giant dead robots, the return of Jeff Lemire's sweet animal children and Marvel's U.S. agent, plus three more books about the complete destruction of humanity. It's almost like these creators were predicting a Trump win. (laughs) Matt, I hope you were up late last night reading comics and not watching the vote results roll in like I was. Why don't you start us off? I'll tell you what. As soon as Ohio turned red, I said, fuck this. I'm going to read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, number one from IDW. It's a palate cleanser, if you will. This was written by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird with a little help from Tom Waltz with a script by Waltz and Eastman, layouts by Eastman, but pencils and inks were by Isao and Isaac Escorza. Now, I don't know if that means that they are brothers and they are both Escorzas or Isao has one name, but there you go. I think it's probably the latter. I have a feeling too. There's a lot of these guys running around lately. I don't know. They think they're pretty hot shit, I think. I don't know. In the not too far future, one lone mutant turtle is taking his last shot at the descendant of Shredder. His brothers are gone and with nothing left to lose, this mysterious turtle warrior sets out on a suicide mission to end the war. He and his turtle bros were raised to fight. This is the homecoming issue we've been waiting for since the end of the Netflix Toys That Made Us Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles documentary that saw the creators Eastman and Lyrid reuniting. IDW TMNT scribe Tom Waltz is the glue that made the story happen, though, and the script is excellent. Eastman's- I also don't know why you keep calling him Lyrid. His name is Peter Laird, L-A-I-R-D. Is it Laird? There's an ID. It looks like Laird. L-A-I-R-D. Peter Laird. Laird. Eastman is on layouts, but the art by Isao and Isaac Escorza is amazing. There was more action in this comic than the last 10, I think, that I've reviewed. The paneling is dramatic. It's packed full of incredible single shots with very few splash pages, by the way, which only ups the ante on all the action. This was just excellent, and not only on a TMNT scale. This issue lives up to the hype, and uh, don't expect to get a deal on the variant covers, because the 1 in 10 cover is going for $50 plus right now. So every once in a while, IDW throws a dart, and it pays off, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the hype, the hype behind the variants on this one is pretty bonkers. Giving it a huge buy-it. This was everything I hoped it would be. It was so fun. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, one of our buddies on the uh, THN fan page compared it to the uh, TMNT version of The Dark Knight Returns. I totally agree. Um, I called my shot last week or maybe a couple of weeks ago about who the last Ronin was. Uh, you know, surprises are <laughs> surprises, let's say. Um, it was a cool twist, though, because it's like you think, you know, based on I'm, I'm no spoilers, but they kind of make it look like, oh, it's that you'd dude. I think it would be obvious. Yes. And then when you get and to the end, it, you go, it's not obvious. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. Um, but yeah, this was outstanding and idw continues to kill it with their tmnt books this is a buy it from me as well absolutely just the emotion that Iscorza is able to put on the face of a turtle that is wearing a domino mask in this he looks old he looks gruff he looks desperate he looks mean like I, there's probably i can't think of a page in this book that i wouldn't buy if i had the money to buy the original art this is a gorgeous book yeah very impressive very impressive First up for me is Colonel Weird, colon, Cosmagog, number one from Dark Horse. Jeff Lemire's latest spinoff of the Black Hammer universe features the wonderful lunatic spaceman Colonel Weird and his secret origin. Artist Tyler Crook is on board and his watercolor work is breathtaking. Yeah. His rural vistas cast in the uh, fading light of the sunset are just as gorgeous as the bizarre cosmic dimensions that Weird finds himself lost in. The story takes us up and down the timeline of Colonel Weird's life as he struggles to piece together a mystery that he's forgotten over time. His friends from the Black Hammer farm are there, uh, but they're fleeting, like phantoms almost. You don't actually need to know anything about the ongoing Black Hammer saga to enjoy this issue, and honestly, you may be better off if you don't. Colonel Weird, number one, is wonderfully bizarre beautiful to look at and compelling to read it's a huge buy it it's just everything from this series is a gift it's wonderful yeah not knowing i kind of wish that maybe i had never read any black hammer before reading this to see what it would be like because i know of the character and who they are and like what colonel weird's you know jam is i could go oh cool i see what they're doing here like he's in and out of reality and some of this they can see and some of they can't see and maybe he's only experiencing this whereas if you didn't know that i'm not saying you wouldn't be able to follow the story but i think this would be one weird fucking comic book to read <laughs> so well that's the thing about colonel weird is that his life and his experience in the story is non-linear right so it doesn't really matter if you don't understand what's going on. Yeah. They, or I mean, if you they, don't understand what order the events are happening. And right. that's by design. The character is outside of time. I'm just saying if you came to this yeah. and said, this is the first Black Hammer issue that I am going to read, you might go. Oh, well, I mean, sure. <laughs> like if somebody if somebody were to say, hey, I heard this Black Hammer is pretty good. Should I pick this up as a starting point? I'd say no. No, you shouldn't. With that said. That, that does not mean I don't recommend it. If you love the series and you're interested in the character, it's absolute uh, buy it, no doubt. Tyler Crook, man, that guy is good. Just outstanding. God, outstanding. that guy is good. My next review is of Giga, number one. It's written by Alex Packnadel with art by John Lee, or Lay. I don't know. It's just L.E., so sorry, John. Far in the future, mankind is rebuilding society after giant robots waged what seemed like a never-ending war that literally destroyed the planet. 
Unlike the Shogun and Warriors this book pays homage to, these giant robots were not piloted by humans, and they had no idea why they were even fighting. And after the fighting ceased, humans moved into their deactivated corpses as scavengers. Here, a young engineer who lost his legs has built a robot with an illegal learning AI and wants to learn more about the Giga rather than accepting the common religious ideas that seem to have pervaded humanity. Packnadal's story is one of my favorite types of dystopian future with humanity rebuilding society in the skeletons of giant robots and it's intelligent sci-fi at its best. He very gently opens the world for you without laying it all out on paper because part of the mystery is this happened for so long that the humans that are living now probably weren't even around when it started. And they were just happened to be around for the end. So we don't even know why the world is like this. And they don't either. The script does an excellent job of setting up this world, the society, and creates compelling mystery set in a planet in shambles living in a giant robot graveyard. This was just cool. And I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I thought this was great. Um, you know, I'm, I am also a sucker for... Uh, giant robot stuff and uh, post-apocalypse, post-apocalypses. But the giant robots are just, they're just- No, they're like background. dressing, they're set dressing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're just like uh, the buildings people live in, basically. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought the world building here was great. The art is beautiful. Mm. Uh, I've never heard of this John John uh, Lay before. Uh, the E in, in LE has one of those little- um, Arrow. Uh, circumflex. Uh, Axon circumflex. So it would be sure. Lay. John Lay. Gives uh, a long A sound. I remember that from high school French. There you go. <laughs> uh, no, it, this was great. And uh, Alex Packnadal, man. Yeah. The dude The dude knows what he's doing. He's on he, fire. He's a, this is a buy it for me. And I will be on the lookout for more uh, by John Lay for sure. Next up for me is Sweet Tooth, The Return from DC Black Label. Writer Jeff Lemire returns to the world of Sweet Tooth, or does he? I don't know. Set in a world 300 years in the future, a character that looks a whole lot like Gus exists in a manufactured homestead where all of his wants are provided for, and he's able to play to his heart's content as long as he doesn't stray beyond the boundary and returns home in time for his lessons and mysterious drug treatments. This comes complete with a very menacing religious authority type figure who administers these treatments to Gus and enforces the rules with the help of some janky looking robots. Of course, there's no way we're sticking to this limited locale and Gus promptly escapes only to discover that this new world may not be as different from the one we knew from the original series. After all, I'm not going to spoil anything about how it seems to connect because that Don't would you be dare. major but i will say the second that moment happens i was so mad that i don't have the entire series in front of me like, <laughs> yeah God, right damn it um, I'll, I'll, I'll stop at saying that it is unexpected like we talked yes. about this last week where we were discussing the solicit and we were just saying like, we don't know what this is. And I what told is you this? Jeff Lemire is going to throw the weirdest screwball 
Is you it have, a sequel? Is it a reboot? I still don't know. I don't know what, what I would call it, honestly. And that's what I love about Jeff Lemire. The guy and we won't is know so, until it's over. Right. We won't know what to call it till it's over. The guy is so fucking smart. We don't even know how to classify this book. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, Lemire's script is very strong. It offers tons of intrigue. Uh, I'm dying to know how the events of this issue are connected to the original series that I love so much, uh, especially after that cliffhanger. He does the art in the issue himself, which he had to. It wouldn't have felt like Sweet Tooth without him. Uh, I think Lemire does enough work in Sweet Tooth The Return, number one, to engage both new and old readers. I don't think you need to be familiar with the old series to understand that there's a connection there that's worth exploring. I absolutely loved this issue. I'm giving it a huge buy it. I, I love the two and... I agree that I don't think you need to read the first Sweet Tooth to get in on this and go, man, this is weird. I want to know what happens. But that's also why it's brilliant. Because one, it's perfectly great standalone for someone who's never read Sweet Tooth and just wants to get into a weird Jeff Lemire story. Go for it. But it's also Jeff Lemire's genius in he is going to tease you with this weird story. And if you never read the last one, by the time he's done with you, you are absolutely going to go buy those comics and read the last one. This is like, it's not a direct continuation, but man, did this make me want to read the old Sweet Tooth comics again. Like, I think it's brilliant marketing. And I think the guy's a genius. Huge buy it. My next review is Crossover, number one, from Image. It's written by Donnie Cates with art by Jeff Shaw. In 2017, an event took place that can only be described as a comic book crossover battle exploding over Denver, Colorado. <laughs> Countless lives were lost. A force like in field- real life. Yes. <laughs> a force field was created around Colorado to keep the comic book characters contained. Religious movements denounced the comic book characters, and society was left reeling. When one little comic book girl escapes Colorado and winds up in a comic book shop in Provo, Utah, all hell seems to break loose. Kate's is telling the most meta comic book story I think I've ever read here, with parallels to today's fake news and blind religious backlash. Shaw's art is perfect for this story, and he does a wonderful job separating the invading comic book world from the real world with the help from colorist Kunifi, or Kanif, <laughs> who uses dot matrix color to separate the two characters very easily. So when you see a person in the real world, Obviously, like, they're very well detailed. But it looks it, like modern comic book coloring. Right. But when you go to a comic book character, they look kind of flat, and they have this dot matrix thing going on. And the people in the comics immediately recognize them and go, oh, crap, <laughs> and are terrified. Yeah. Crossover looks like it's going to be extremely high concept fiction geared to old school superhero fans. And I cannot tell you how excited I am to see where this goes. I'm giving this a massive buy it. It was so fun to watch Donny Cates on Twitter when he would send his buddies copies of this and say, Hey, I just sent you the first issue of crossover. Give it a read. Let me know. And then they would respond to the tweet and they'd be like, what are you doing? (laughs) Not even like this. Like, Oh wow. It was great. There's like, all right, hold on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean that, it's it's such a fun idea the uh, the idea of comic book characters bursting into the real world and like 
you know, n- no huge spoilers here, but it's in the initial few pages. It's like, here's what happens in real life when uh, the armies of superhumans from superhero fantasy uh, actually have a pitched battle in a populated area. People get slaughtered. But not just that. It, it, it starts with this idea of like, what is real? Like yeah. what is real? Because well, but you I mean, and like, I I, like are, the the scene, the scenes of people react, like the real world people reacting. It's like buildings are falling on right. them. There are people running away on fire. But, like, but over that, bad. the narration is basically saying, "What if I told you that Superman is more real than you? Yes, you have a normal yeah, yeah, life. Yeah. You're a real person, and you will live and you will die. But guess what? The whole world." knows what superman, superman has is. had a bigger impact superman on the world than you is ever have timeless yeah. so how can we say these things are not real it's almost like that idea of the uh like the slender man and like which was like sure the yeah. tulpa that the little girls like brought to life and it, it was an internet meme but now it's real <laughs> you know it's that same like our belief in these characters may have made this happen which is really cool <laughs> My next review is Black Widow, Widow's Sting, number one from Marvel. Longtime editor Ralph Macchio, no relation, steps up to write this issue I, that ultimately has I little. Think we should just start telling people it is Ralph Macchio. <laughs> it is Ralph Danny LaRusso yes. Macchio. Confirmed 100% the Karate Kid wrote this comic yes. book. <laughs> uh, he steps up to write this issue that ultimately has little to no bearing on the ongoing adventures of the Black Widow. Natasha is on the hunt for an artifact being held in the possession of criminal overlord Silvio Manfredi, a.k.a. Silvermane. Uh, This takes place in a nebulous time somewhere in the past where S.H.I.E.L.D. still exists and Silvermane is only an occasional cyborg. The whole exercise is pointless. Macho's script is incredibly dated. Like even the, even the events that he uses to link to the ongoing Marvel universe, they have no bearing on anything. And the art by Simone Buonfantino is subpar, full of bizarre anatomical choices. It is dynamic. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. We've but seen he takes his a art big before swing and he kind of misses. We have liked that dude's art before in other places. I feel like this was rushed. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I get my Simone's mixed up, so I don't know. Widow Sting number one could have been an inoffensive one shot that you could safely ignore. Instead, it's an actively bad one shot that you should definitely ignore. <laughs> I'm giving it a leave it. Yeah, this just happens to be coming out the same time that they had initially pushed the Black Widow movie back to. So this just screams cash grab. It's the same as that Wonder Woman comic that I reviewed. Oh, yeah. Or any of the Marvel's, couple weeks the Marvel's ago. Avengers right. tie-in comics. Where they're like, hey, if you want to go see the movie? We'll check out issue number one of the comic. Like, fuck off. This is garbage. This it's, was it's just bad crapped out. And like Ralph Macchio, I'm glad the guy's still working and he's still around why he needs to do stuff like this. Like they know they have to know when they're putting something out like this, they know it's garbage, right? They're not looking at me like Ralph, you nailed that one. Whew. Can't wait to give you an X-Men job again. Will you Eisner know? is on the phone. <laughs> yeah. You know, like this was garbage. Leave it. There's no reason to even talk about it anymore. My final review goes to Origins, number one, from Boom. This was written by Clay McLeod Chapman with art by 
Jakub Rebelka, but it was created by Arashamel, Lee Krieger, and Joseph Oxford, who didn't write it, just created it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> huh. So the story takes place a thousand years after the extinction of humanity. Artificial intelligence controls the world, but one rogue AI has recreated the man that started the downfall of humanity. David Shaw was a genius who set in motion the literal extinction of humankind, and he is now reborn with a chance to undo his greatest mistake. Rebelka's art is part Alex May leave with some what could be possibly photo-referenced backgrounds, but heavily affected, and part Fraser oh, see, Irving. I, I, this, this looked to me a lot like um, Tommy Lee Edwards. Okay, yeah. I, I'll buy that. Yeah. They like he referenced some things, but everything is so covered in vegetation and decrepit that it's barely recognizable. His characters have a very Fraser Irving kind of look with sort of longer faces that make them look a little otherworldly, which is great because they're AI. They're not people. So they look odd. <laughs> McLeod's script is sparse, but very effective, and gently fleshes out the post-human world with AI living in harmony with animals. There's even a great scene where, like, there's a loud noise, and these monkeys perk up, and they're wearing Hawaiian shirts and 2009. <laughs> 2008. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> It almost seems like a more peaceful existence, quite honestly. Like, the AIs, they don't mind the vegetation. They don't mind the animals. They wear their armor. They do their thing. But one of them has decided to give humanity another chance. Origins is a fantastic piece of sci-fi in the spirit of blockbuster books like Annihilation. And it looks to set up a story of mankind's second chance. This is hugely highbrow sci-fi. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, this was outstanding. Uh, the art blew me away. Yeah. I, I, I am really stunned by this artwork. Um, you know, it, you you mentioned re like photo referencing. Like, it's one thing to look at a picture of a building and draw the building. Right. It's another thing to put a photoshopped image of a building into the background of your drawing and then trace over it or put a filter on it. Yes. And like, I feel like I can tell the difference between the two. Um, this does not feel like you know, like we criticized Ariel Olivetti. For that sort of thing. Well, years that was ago. that was different. That was like I don't even know if that was photo referencing. I feel like he just like took no, he a just picture dropped, from like, his computer and dropped it on there. Here like, are some pictures of planets. Right. Look, like cables on uh, on the street. You know, by the bakery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, that, um, <laughs> you know? that uh that Alex DeCampy comic uh that that did the mix between the two. You know. Oh that sort yeah, of yeah, shit. yeah. It was Spy just, Island or whatever. It's almost like AR where they're like, hold your phone up. Look, the Pokemon yeah, yeah, no, no, is no, right no. there on your and, street. And, <laughs> and this is absolutely not that, you know, this is like, no, this not is at all. well drawn, uh, hugely detailed. Like it's hugely impressive to be able to draw a landscape, whether it be urban or, or, you know, uh, rural or, or whatever. Uh, it's another thing to be able to draw an urban landscape and then cover it in lush vegetation and yeah. have it look completely realistic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can't say enough about the art. Uh, it, and like you said, it, the story is awesome. It, it is very like high concept sci-fi stuff. It is a huge buy it for me. This was, this was a fun read. This It week. really was. It was cool. Took me by surprise. I, 
I wish I could uh par I wish I could parse the uh relationship between the created by and the actual executed by but, yeah i you don't know. know what's going on there it's like three friends are like hey we have a fantastic idea for a comic book <laughs> here's the catch we don't want to write it <laughs> yeah 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 you've got to write it okay i mean if you guys are interested look it up i'm sure it's out there wrapping up our reviews for this week is u.s agent number one from marvel I have always been an apologist for characters like the U.S. agent. Give me a good Guy Gardner type, an unrepentant asshole with a heart of gold. But here, writer Christopher Priest gives us John Walker at his absolute worst. He's holed up in some townhouse in New York, terrorizing pizza delivery boys until he happens to find the one that's delivering a bomb to the resident of said townhome that Walker has spent who knows how long trashing. There's a mysterious Asian sidekick out of nowhere for no reason that I can think of other than, than to show how racist uh, Walker can be. He's sent on an errand by a federal agent with a grudge against Valerie Cooper. Uh, shout out to Peter David's X Factor. And that situation could not be more vague. Is he there to defend the town? Is he there to defend what the townspeople are fighting against? The story is never made clear. And even at the end, when a bunch of faceless armored goons show up, you're like, what the fuck? Like, who? what's happening? What's, who the fuck are these people? Christopher Priest's usually witty banter feels almost like a detriment here as the pacing becomes completely impossible to follow. Artist George's Jainty isn't at the top of his game either. And by the time you get to the end of the issue, the final page cliffhanger has almost no effect because you're so confused by what you've been reading for the past 20 pages. And the one thing that I keep stressing, and I texted my, Matt about this last night, <laughs> why are his shields so shitty? Yeah, like I, I don't they get it. They take like one hit and they're done? <laughs> right. What are they made of? <laughs> like fiberglass? They're trash can or, lids. Yeah, they're painted trash can lids. I want to like US Agent. I wanted to like this number one way more than I did. I was going to give it a skim it, but I'm not sure now. I know what I'm giving it. I think I'm going to give it a leave it. I'm giving it a leave it as well, Joe. This is bizarre. This feels like it was a, like, like I missed some setup from a previous story that left the U.S. Asian character in this place. And we definitely didn't. We didn't. We definitely didn't. In fact, the last time I, we saw the U.S. Asian, I don't think he had all his body parts even. So... I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no, he got much better. He got much better with the body parts. Okay. Well, regardless, I had no idea where this was. Like, I get that Priest wanted us to show, wanted to show us that the character is at a very low point in his life, and he's basically doing this, you know, grudge work, this dirt work to make up for something he did wrong. Whatever. Fine. But they never- He's trying to get back in the game. But yeah, they you know. never spell it out. Why is he no. there? What's going on? I didn't even understand what was going on with the bomb coming from the pizza guy, let alone where he was sent after that, why he had some type of Quinjet thing, who the Asian sidekick was, and like none of it clicked or made any sense. And it just it was left, just a bunch of it was a bunch of disjointed parts. Yes, and it left me feel like I just missed something that led up to this. I'm giving it a leave it. I don't know whose fault it was. I don't know if this was supposed to spin out of something where we would have gone, oh, that's what happened to him next. But it sure feels like they skipped a step 
and jumped right into this part of the story. So yeah, and I like I have a, I have a hard time believing Christopher Priest came to Marvel and said I've got a cool idea for a U.S. agent story. This feels to me like Marvel is like we got to get a U.S. agent number one out there because we have a trademark to protect. <laughs> Or something, or like he was supposed to be a part of another story that got yeah. canceled or something, and they had already paid Christopher Priest for this, so let's just print it and see what happens. Yeah, I don't it's know. Just, it, but we definitely it, it missed is, something. It's absolutely not up to the usual quality of either of the creators involved. I totally agree. Even the art was a little wonky in some parts, and George Janty is an exceptional artist. So yeah. I feel like there were problems in not just production, but rushing this out and making it happen, you know, it, which leads me to believe that it was part of something else that never happened. So that, or it's schizophrenic as hell. And what is going on? <laughs> I just don't know what it could have been a part of. Right. Joe Patrick, which book wins? It's that time. We've read eight comic books from the last <sighs> two weeks. Which book wins? What was your favorite? Man, I don't know. Um, there are so many good contenders this week. I think I'm giving it to Crossover just because I'm such a sucker for superhero comics. I really liked Crossover, and the last page left me going, how are they going to pull this off? <laughs> but I think Origins gets my best book of the week just because the setup was so great, the art was so great, the story was completely bizarre, and I, I'm... Super curious to see where this goes. I love the chances they're taking with this story and the whole post-human thing with one human being on Earth being reborn. I got to see where this goes. Origins gets my best book of the week. I mean, it really, it's, you could have spun a wheel with their names on it and been happy with whatever landed because Colonel Weir deserved it. Last Ronin deserves it. Giga deserves it. Yeah. Sweet Tooth, like, they were Just all fantastic. A great, a great couple weeks worth of books. The only reason I'm going with Origins is because it's new, it's fresh, and it's exciting. And I want yeah, to see where that totally, goes. Totally valid. I've been reading more of at least three of the issues that I reviewed this week. So they all yeah. win. But. Yeah, same here. Uh, yeah, I, I, I plan on reading more of half of mine and most of yours. <laughs> right. Damn! That does it for reviews this weekend. Damn! is the sound of wildfire exploding his own containment suit in frustration as seen in the pages of Legion of Superheroes number 304. I think we've all been there, buddy. I I didn't read it, but I assume you got to get pretty frustrated before you blow yourself up. (laughs) You did read it. Uh, We reviewed it in the Cosmic Long Box not too long ago. Oh, did we? Yes. uh, This, uh, yes, it was the um, Superhero Academies. Oh, okay. uh, All right, all right. Yeah, this onomatopoeia of the week comes courtesy of Adam Crouch via Twitter, who was reading this issue based on our recommendation. Oh, nice. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Or better yet, call us and make the noise. Tell us where it came from, and we will play it on the show. Giddies, that's it for reviews, and now it's time to head up to the THN to nurse our election day hangover. And uh, by the way, don't blame us because we voted for Kodos. Right, Joe? Joe? Oh my God, Joe, you voted for Kang? Are you serious? 
I wanted to make a statement with my vote. Remember when you voted for Jill Stein and then she turned out to be a reptile person in service of the Illuminati? You know what? I'm not going into it. I'm not going back into this now, Joe. Just tell America and me about the comic book I should stay alive to read next week. Because I'll tell you what, 2020. Woo! <laughs> Every time I think you're done. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's dicey. <laughs> Uh, next week, I am excited to read Taskmaster number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Alessandro Viti. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here's your solicit. Taskmaster has murdered Maria Hill. Is that a big deal? Other than the fact that she like there's no shield, and now she's just like, uh, you know, like... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, at, at least that's what the whole world thinks, anyway. <laughs> okay. Now, the greatest spies in the business are hunting him down and won't stop until Taskmaster is dead or clears his own name. Follow Jed McKay and Alejandro Viti on a globe-spinning adventure that will send ripples through every corner of the Marvel Universe's espionage community. Alessandro Viti. Narrator voice, it won't. You said Alejandro. Yes, I know. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I love the Taskmaster, and I love the idea of all the other super spies in Marvel having oh, yeah. a band together to come after him. Totally. Anytime they do the thing where it's like one bad guy fucked up, and now all the bad guys are coming to get it. <laughs> yeah, that's fun totally stuff. in. Fun stuff. And Jed McKay, super talented. That Black Cat book that he's writing is actually great. Really great. I have heard that, yes. Somebody yelled at me because I made a comment, as I do a few episodes ago, and was just like, I don't care about the black cat. And they're like, you're wrong. You need to read Jed McKay's black cat. I went back and I read the first eight issues. Totally hooked. It's great. And the black cat character. I've never cared about. Never cared. There like, you go. It's fine with her, whatever. But it's just like, eh, give me Catwoman. I'll, I'll take Catwoman over black cat. My pick for next week is Cutting Edge, the Siren Song number one from Titan. It's written by Francesco Dimitri with art by Mario Alberti. If those names sound Italian, there's a reason. 48 pages for $5.99. Here's your solicit. Tomb Raider meets the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in a brand new series by renowned fantasy author and award-winning Italian artist. Period. <laughs> Brought together by a clandestine corporation, the world's greatest minds are set a challenge of epic proportions. The, do the dodecathlon, which I think is 12 things you have to do. Dodecahedron is 12, right? Unlikely oh, yeah. alliances are made in order to fulfill the quest and uncover the mysterious truth behind it all. But as the conspiracy is unveiled, how many will survive? They literally grabbed the Italian translation of this and dropped it into Google Translate. And then closed their eyes and went, send it to the editor. <laughs> so this is an Italian comic book that Titan is publishing in the United States. The art is stunning. Absolutely stunning. And if you go look at the preview art for this, even if I couldn't understand what they were saying, I would still probably pick up this book. But I bet you those word balloons are square. Some of them are square. Yes. <laughs> Francesco Dimitri is a celebrated Italian comic creator. This looks like another cool Euro comic that Titan is printing here in the States. Thank you for doing that. I'm willing to give it a try and you'll hear me review it on this show. All right. The THN trade of the week goes to Titan. It's a graphic novel from Oni press written and drawn by Francois Vignol. Vignolt? Vignol. Vino. 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 Yeah. Vino. 
It's 208 pages for 1999. Here's your solicit. When manager first class Yao Da Silva arrives on the moon of Titan to take charge of Homestead Station, he finds the massive mining colony plagued by tensions between the giant genetically engineered Titan workers and the Terran management. As anger mounts, what began as a routine posting quickly turns into something far more dangerous. Phoebe McIntosh thought she left her fighting days behind her when she turned her back on the mixing circuit. Now she finds herself caught between a past she'd rather forget and a future she can't predict. Together, they must find a way to pull Homestead back from the brink of disaster, or Titan might be the spark that sets the entire solar system ablaze. So, uh, Titan was a small press comic that I reviewed years ago on the show. It was actually, uh, the dimensions of it were small. It was barely bigger than one of those He-Man comic inserts. Okay. Did someone send us this? Uh, no, I think I found it at Legend. Okay. And uh, uh, it's great. And it's got, uh, it's got like serious um, The Expanse vibes with like the native Titan workers being all like distended and weird because oh, right. of the, their life on the moon. Because no, gravity's lower, so they just like get longer. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a really awesome like murder mystery. It's a ton of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed what I read of it. Uh, I tried to keep up as much as I could uh, until the issues got harder to find. I am really glad to see Oni Press collecting it. Uh, it's definitely worth your time. It's got this kind of odd, like monochromatic color scheme, and the art is super cartoony and bizarre. You got to see it to believe it. Titan gets the THN trade of the week. Check it out. I don't believe. You got to see it first. Oh, okay. That makes sense. All right. <laughs> now that you know what we're reading next week, we want to hear about what you're excited to read or what you guys think we should be reading. Obviously, we're huge superhero nerds. Throw something at us. Maybe there's some talking dog comics we're missing or something. I don't know. But please be sure to add these comics to your pull list so you can play along and do your local comic book store a favor too. The Mandalorian is back, and holy shit, that first episode was great. It really was great. <laughs> I rewatched it this morning, and, and God, ugh, quite man. honestly, and, and there's no spoilers here, but I thought they were gonna go like right back into the story because they were developing the big. The story is all of a sudden ramped up, and there's this in the story, and, that, and they're like, nope, and this one, giant monster causing a problem. It's like, fuck yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> The only problem is that we've got seven damn days between episodes, but have no fear. The comic pushers are here to suggest some space bounty hunter comics. Matt, what do you have for these Boba Fett loving nerds? My first suggestion is, in fact, a Boba Fett comic. Not the new Star Wars at Marvel, but the old school Dark Horse Boba Fett Agent of Doom. This was written by John Ostrander with art by Cam Kennedy. Now, there was a long history of Dark Horse Star Wars comics. Not all of them were great, but there were some hits. And typically, if you saw John Ostrander's name on the comic, that meant it was going to be solid Star Wars comic booking. This was back when Dark Horse had to work with Lucasfilm and had to get all their scripts approved. So this stuff was canon as far as they were concerned. Absolutely yep. happened. Part of the story. 
until such time that George Lucas said, yeah, fuck all that. None of it counts. I'm gonna do some prequel movies and uh, screw you, Dark Horse. And from what I've heard, it was dark times for some of the creators, but I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> the main reason I picked this is because Cam Kennedy's art is so goddamn good. And Kennedy seems to be one of those artists of the 90s that never quite got hugely famous and then vanished. But goddamn, that dude was talented. And he draws the hell out of Boba Fett. So here's your publisher summary, or your solicit, if you will. Some jobs are too much of a risk for even the best bounty hunters. But that never stopped Boba Fett. The Imperial Death Ship Azgogic, A-Z-G-O-G-H-K, Azgogic, designed for the sole purpose of exterminating alien species, continues its duties long after the Empire has fallen apart. Now it's time for justice and revenge. When the last member of a dying species seeks to extract revenge on the Azgogic and its crew, there's only one man he can turn to. Boba Fett! So basically, this is this story. It takes place after empire more or less in that time where they were starting to rebuild the empire as we knew it but it was kind of in shambles and these guys didn't know the war was over they were out doing their job just like those like world war ii japanese soldiers that were like still fighting 15 years after the war ended like they basically didn't know they were in deep space they were sent out on black ops to kill alien species that's the job and Boba Fett's going to go and take them out. It is a wonderful series. You can find this still printed in the, you can find this printed in the Star Wars omnibus Boba Fett from Dark Horse, which collects a ton of Star Wars, of Boba Fett stories with writers like Thomas Andrews, Mike Kennedy, Ron Mars worked on some of it. And Ron Mars wrote some really good Star Wars stuff too. Go pick up that omnibus. This is a ton of fun. Uh, my first suggestion, and it's just because mainly uh, I love any excuse to recommend Hitman. Uh, it is the Lobo, is, is the Hitman Lobo, that stupid bastard one shot from DC. <laughs> uh, this came out in the year 2000. It was a one shot special. Uh, just a few months, really, before Hitman came to an end. Here's your description. Lobo decides to grab a brew at Noonan's pub in what might be the biggest bar fight in comics history, guest starring six pack and the might and right of the super team known as section eight. Uh, so Lobo, who is a ridiculous character and the best, uh, he is the last Zarnian, the last of his race. And he is a space bounty hunter. And for my money, the best Lobo stories are the stories where Lobo gets his ass handed to him. Yeah, which happens more than you think for a character as strong as Superman. Yes, <laughs> so. like where Lobo is treated as the joke that he is. That's that is the Lobo that I want to read. Like he's very strong, and, but his downfall is he's not as smart as Superman. Right. Right. So, uh, so Lobo basically shows up at Noonan's bar for a like out of complete coincidence and Tommy Monahan is there with his buddies and Lobo starts making fun of six pack and six pack is the adorable, you know, delusional drunk that thinks he's a superhero who's right. dressed in a costume. Right. And Tommy is not 
having that. And so he shoots Lobo's eyes out and then takes off. And so the entire rest of the issue is Tommy and Section 8 trying to get away and stop Lobo uh, at every turn through whatever ridiculous means necessary, even if that means uh, putting Lobo in between Tommy and a bunch of other hitmen that are out for Tommy's blood. <laughs> uh, it is hilarious. It's it's written by Garth Ennis, of course. It's drawn by Doug Mankey. It is beautiful looking. If there's anybody that can draw Hitman as well as John McRae, it's Doug Mankey. He kills it in this issue. Yeah, even early Doug Mankey is still kick-ass Doug Mankey. Like, that guy burst onto the scene. Great. Well, and this is the year 2000, so Doug Mankey was already like a huge superstar. I suppose, yeah, he was already, I guess he was already pretty big at that point, so. Um, But like, not to spoil too much, you obviously have to realize that a group of mostly human characters, most of which do not actually have any superpowers to speak of, have no chance of stopping Lobo once he finally gets the drop on them. (laughs) So the only way they stop Lobo is to embarrass him so badly that he's forced to leave earth forever. <laughs> and it is so wonderful. Well, that's like uh, yeah, another it's, one of his downfalls is his ego. <laughs> yes, he's got a huge, huge ego. Yeah. Uh, he's the main this, man, you know? <laughs> uh, this issue is collected in the final volume of Hitman, volume seven, closing time. Uh, I'm sure that you can find it in back issue bins. Unfortunately, the trade doesn't seem to be in print right now, but it is available on Comixology. Uh, please check it out. If you haven't read Hitman, please do so. But even if you haven't, this is such a fun story with a group of ridiculous characters. It's so endearing somehow. Considering we're talking about like, here's a guy who just has excessive phlegm. Here's a guy who can't shoot straight. Here's a guy who welds dogs to people. AKA dog welder. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah it's just it's it's so much stupid fun i love it i love it i love it my next pick goes to an actual boba fett precursor that may or may not have influenced boba fett we don't really know his name is johnny alpha but you might know him better as strontium dog from the pages of 2000 ad he first appeared in 1979 and there is some discussion out there as to whether or not he influenced the creation of Boba Fett. So we don't know. I think he did. He kind of wears a similar armor, but he's got perfectly white eyes. And there's a reason he's a mutant. The premise of the series is basically centers around the great nuclear war of 2150, which wiped out 70% of Britain's population, leading to a huge increase in mutant births. But these weren't like sexy X-Men mutants. These mutants were deformed super messed up. Johnny Alpha was one that just happened to be okay looking. He has wide eyes because he can see through walls and he can kind of read minds and he uses that to his advantage when bounty hunting. If you're going to jump into some Strontium Dog, I would say start at the very beginning, which I did. But there's a book called Strontium Dog, The Life and Death of Johnny Alpha, Dogs of War, and it's available through 2000 AD. This is written by the creators, John Wagner, with art by Carlos Ezquerra, who is 
2000 AD royalty and a fan fucking fantastic artist and that is the reason i fell in love with stronium dog was escara's work alan grant works on this as well so very very british sci-fi alan grant and carlos esquera creators of judge dread there you go he often travels back in time and bumps into judge dread he's from judge dread's future like even further future whoa and he is a kick-ass character here is your solicit for the trade paperback i just suggested earth the late 22nd century many survivors of the devastating atomic wars were mutilated by strontium 90 fallout these mutants became a victimized underclass hated by the ruling norms and forced into squalid ghettos the only job left for them was bounty hunting Renowned search and destroy agent Johnny Alpha died defending mutant kind from the tyranny of the human race. Now he's back, as ruthless as ever, and fully prepared to conquer his enemies at all costs. This gut-punching slice of sci-fi is brought to you by original Strontium Dog creators, yada yada yada. I already said that. He is a take-no-prisoners, do-not-fuck-with-me kind of bounty hunter. And he, like they said, he came from this defiled class of mutants that's always been looked down upon, and he works for rich people doing really dirty work. It's fantastic, super gritty bounty hunter storytelling. I love 2000 AD, and I wish I had more time to read more of it. If you haven't checked it out, absolutely check this one out my next pick features one of my favorite comic book bounty hunters it is saga compendium volume one and that features of course the will who is a bounty hunter that's hired to track down and kill uh, the main characters marco and alana who are traitors and defectors from their respective races and the father or pardon me the parents of the forbidden love child hazel Now, he's a bounty hunter, but he follows a strict moral code. You know, he's out on a planet on a job and he stops and saves a six-year-old girl that had been sold into sex slavery. Uh, He's the owner of Lying Cat, the fan favorite Lying Cat. Yeah, Uh, He's got a kick-ass, like, he's got a fencing sword that, like, shoots out. Right. Like a like a javelin. It's rad. I mean, he's totally, Um, he's a bounty hunter. He's, He's totally Boba Fett. He's just Boba Fett in yeah, the saga right. world. No question. He's Mando, right? He's Mando. He, like, yeah. he fi- like, he's, he's got like, a set oh. of rules. Like, he's he's not a good guy. He's not a bad right. guy. He's doing his job, and he has to do it by these rules. Uh, he just, you know, he he loses at every turn because, of course, Saga is not about him. Uh, and he almost loses Lion Cat during a space fight. And he ends up, you know, quitting the life. Uh, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything more, but things don't end very well for the will. But um, he's one of, I think he's a very compelling bounty hunter figure uh, in a book full of very compelling characters. Oh, definitely. He's, he's got this like bizarre, weird, like love obsession with another bounty hunter called the Stalk. Yeah. Who is this creepy fucking spider alien yeah. with six boobs. And she's even like, I'm going to kill you. I, you don't love me. And he's like, yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I love the will. Uh, you can read his story in the saga compendium volume one. It is in print. Uh, I'm not going to read the solicit for that particular book because it's all about how great saga is. 
and how great it is to have it all in one place like this. Um, it does collect the first nine volumes, Saga 1 through 54, uh, for 60 bucks. And it's just like a great, like, it's not an omnibus, like unwieldy, like an omnibus. You know, it's it's just a nice size to hold and read. It's a really good package. I prefer it unwieldy, like an omnibus. But that's my thing. Yeah, I've I've always known that. Like when me. I die, I want to grab three of my omnibus and just jump overboard and let let them just like sink me like an anchor. Take you down to the <laughs> take you down to the drink. So there's our bounty hunter picks to tide you over while you're waiting for more Mandalorian episodes. We would love to know what you guys think of these issues. And I know you're saying, "Oh man, do I have to go write this stuff down?" No, go check out the show notes. We're gonna have links to all of this in our required reading section of the show notes for this episode. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 596. Next week, the Cosmic Long Box returns, and we'll be reviewing comics featuring interuniversal crossovers. Universe versus universe. What happens when the Avengers take on the JLA, or perhaps Witchblade bumps into Shane of the She Devil? Or Daredevil, for that matter. <laughs> it's going to get weird, man. And for a rotating segment, Mr. Jason Sachs, the official THN comic historian, is back to discuss who the hell is the Taskmaster? Just in time for Taskmaster number one and the release of the Black Widow. Oh, sorry. Never mind. That's been put. Wait, back. wait, wait. Let me check my watch. Ah, uh, <laughs> nope. Not next week. Sorry. <laughs> Until then, Joe Patrick, set these nerds up with a new question of the week. This week's question was submitted by New Guy via the THN forums. Apparently, America's premier asshole came up with a plan to leave Walter Reed Hospital acting weak, but then perking up and dramatically ripping his shirt open, revealing a Superman logo underneath. Thankfully, this dumb shiz didn't actually happen, but it very easily could have. Imagine a character of Jewish creation who is a refugee who regularly sacrifices himself for the greater good and famously took on the KKK, being used in a cheap electoral propaganda stunt by a neo-fascist who stole money from a kid's cancer charity. I, I don't... If you believe somebody, the left-wing liberal news, sure. Is he I mean, talking like, about somebody specific? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, so, my question is, what do you think was the worst example of misuse, appropriation, or fundamental misunderstanding of a comic book or other nerdy character? Love it. Cover to Cover is back every Saturday at 10.30 live on our Facebook page, and it's the new home for the Nerd News segment, so call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You could be internet famous. We ask that you do keep it to two minutes or less. If you can, we don't always police it, but, you know, do what you can. Let's just share the air. Yeah, right. Uh, now, please bear in mind, there is no cover to cover this Saturday, November the 7th. There is no cover to cover this Saturday, November the 7th. Uh, Matt has to work. I apologize. Sorry, dudes. I apologize for him. I just don't know how many more times I can apologize on his behalf. <laughs> it's exhausting. I know. I understand. Really, it is exhausting. I'm really sorry. But we will be back the following week. If you're new to the show and you're scouring the want ads looking for new jobs for us, I un I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors 
like our brand new patron, Corey Michael. Look at you this You know guy. that dude just... You know that ju- that dude sound- signed up just so that he could listen to our new D&D podcast with Fooly Toots. You think so? I hope I not. know so. I hope not. Uh, sorry, Corey. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to everyone that took the time to vote this year. Uh, I, we know the fight is not over yet. Uh, as we record this, things are still happening and our stress levels are all over the place. I mean, but who doesn't uh, love a good presidential election that's decided where it belongs? In the courts. <laughs> right. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> It can sometimes feel hopeless, we know, but for some of us and our loved ones, it is a matter of life and death. So thank you so much uh, for doing your civic duty. We appreciate you. Word to all of you. And hopefully by the time we talk next week, we'll at least know what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. Or if nothing else, the aliens will have come and destroyed us and we don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just name themselves Lord God Emperor of your collection without counting any more votes. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing. Signing.